So are these word games all right? Is there a loophole of sorts where a person can technically avoid lying without telling the truth either? Well, there is a passage from Scripture that comes to mind here. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to An Average Account of Exceptional Things. My name is Chandler, and I am your host. Thanks for joining us today. So, welcome back to our series on the Ten Commandments. And as you may have noticed, this episode is titled as Part 8. I promise we are nearing the end here. We have just one more episode left. But because this is Part 8, that means that there are, in fact, some episodes prior to this one to enjoy. So while these episodes do certainly sort of stand alone, I would still say they definitely go better together, which is why this is a series. So I would highly encourage you to just go ahead and pause this episode real quick. If you haven't heard those previous episodes, give those a listen, and then come right back to this one. Because I do think that it can be really helpful to have the background from those episodes before getting into this week's discussion. Alright, so with that, if you're still here, I will assume that you are ready to go for today's episode. So just as we did with the prior episodes in this series, let's go ahead and kick things off today by reading the verses from Exodus 20 that this topic of the Ten Commandments comes from. And those are going to be Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off, and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, 
but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Alright, so this week we are discussing the Ninth Commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. But what does that mean, to bear false witness? Now, many will point to this commandment as a commandment prohibiting lying, but the exact wording here is to bear false witness. So, are these the same? To answer that, we have to consider the definition of bearing false witness. So, bearing false witness can be taken quite literally in the sense of a testimony in a courtroom, for instance. To bear false witness in that setting would be to condemn one who is innocent or to present an untruthful witness such that one who is guilty would be found innocent. Ultimately, it's dishonesty. Because inherent in bearing false witness is that element of dishonesty intentionally misrepresenting what is true by presenting something else. So when we consider this commandment, it seems clear that this is indeed a commandment against lying and dishonesty. Even though the wording is a bit different, the meaning of this commandment is quite clear. And perhaps that point there was obvious to some, but I feel that things like this are always worth addressing before going into a deeper discussion, because often opponents of the faith are quick to sort of play word games to diminish less desirable commandments. But when we take even just a moment to consider the meaning of Scripture and the meaning of the words used in Scripture, its truth is abundantly clear. Furthermore, this is a truth that we can see very plainly presented throughout Scripture, Some of the most direct of these come in the book of Proverbs. So I want to share a few of these passages from Proverbs here about dishonesty. Proverbs 19, verse 5. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. There's also Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. And finally, Proverbs 19, verse 9. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will perish. So we've clearly and firmly established that lying is sinful, but why is that such a big deal, particularly in the Christian faith? Why is dishonesty so harmful to us and to others? Well, this comes right back to the character of God himself, as well as the immoral character of Satan. And this is something that we discussed a little bit during last week's episode as well. 
the objective moral standard of what is right comes from God's character, from who he is. God is perfect and sinless, and this is exactly the standard that we should be striving towards. And there's a reason that we are called to live in a Christ-like manner, after all. Now, all of this is nothing new to longtime listeners especially, but the inverse of this is also true here. Satan is the enemy, a murderer, and the father of lies. And when we emulate those things, we are living in direct contradiction to God's word. This is a reality, once again, backed up by scripture. Here I'm going to read John chapter 8, verses 42 through 44. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when considering why lying is such a serious matter, we need to remember that when we engage in dishonesty, we are behaving as if our father is the devil, rather than living in a way that reflects that we are children of God. I mean, just consider the magnitude of that for a moment. Now, there are many who consider lying to be a minor sin, so to speak, compared to what people generally think of as the truly heinous sins like murder. But spiritually, this could not be less true. Just like with our discussion last week concerning stealing, there's no such thing as a little sin, and I'm using air quotes there for little, because even though our actions may have varying earthly consequences, the spiritual wages of sin against God, regardless of what we often try to tell ourselves, are just as heavy in any circumstance, regardless of what that sin is. But what about those times when we are tempted to skate by on some wordplay? What if we aren't technically lying, one might ask? If you're a bit lost on what I mean by this, I'm referring to occasions where our response is technically a true statement, where we choose our words very carefully to, in our minds, avoid being dishonest. Now, anyone who has ever made the mistake of asking the question, can I go to the bathroom, rather than may I go to the bathroom, knows exactly the sort of attention to word choice that I'm talking about, simply in a much more benign sense. So are these word games all right? Is there a loophole of sorts where a person can technically avoid lying without telling the truth either? Well, there is a passage from Scripture that comes to mind here. 
The passage is Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, where we see Jesus tempted in the wilderness. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So here we see Satan using scripture to tempt Jesus, a point that I personally find extremely noteworthy during my study for a number of reasons. Now, on a side note here, uh, in case anyone is curious as to what scripture Satan is quoting, that is from a passage in Psalm 91. But the point here is that Satan is playing this sort of manipulative game here, because scripture is God-breathed, true and beneficial. There's no question that the scripture quoted here is true, because God's word is true. There's also no question that Satan is not using it to glorify God. This is a twisting and a perversion of scripture, and it's something that, unfortunately, we still see plenty of today. Now, it's, it's clear to see that this is far different than a pastor quoting this scripture from Psalm 91 during a sermon, for instance. The purpose for which Satan quotes this scripture here is to further his own goals against God. And so the tie-in that I want to talk about regarding dishonesty and these word games we often play is that while the words of scripture are true, in this passage, Satan's intention is purely malicious. He is taking the word of God, which is completely infallible, unlike the words that we speak, but he's using it to try to tempt Jesus. So when we look at our words and we think, well, I didn't technically lie, so this action is spiritually sound, it's sort of like looking at this situation and saying, well, technically, the words that he said were true because they were scripture, so that must mean that his actions here aren't in opposition to God, which is obviously not the case. So when we frame it like this, it becomes pretty clear that the intention behind our words is far more important than a mere technicality. 
And it really does all come down to the purpose for which we choose those words. Because a miscommunication is not inherently dishonest. It's usually a mistake. But when we play those sort of word games with the goal of obscuring information and furthering our own goals, that is clearly dishonest, regardless of the rationalizations that we often generate to justify our own behavior. So if there's something that perhaps we don't want to talk about or can't talk about with someone, I believe that as Christians, we are far better off simply being truthful and saying, I can't talk about that. Or, you know, I, I have spoken to that person about this thing, but, uh, but I really can't share because uh, they, they told me this and they would like for it to be just between us for the time being. Or even just saying, you know, I'm sorry, I don't want to talk about that right now. Or I'm not comfortable talking about that right now. All of these are far, far better than playing semantic tricks to disguise a dishonest statement. And so in light of all that we've discussed today, I just want to urge anyone listening to stand strong in your faith in those circumstances where obedience to this commandment is put to the test. You know, in a world where it seems like people just throw words and statements around like they mean nothing, you know, it's crucial that we as Christians are men and women of our word. Because how can we form relationships with believers and non-believers alike if they aren't sure if they can trust what we say? Furthermore, if Christians aren't known as a people whose word is trustworthy, then how could someone place their hope and trust in the gospel that we share? So with that in mind, I hope you'll join us next week as we wrap up our series looking at the Ten Commandments. And I pray that something said in this episode was a blessing or an encouragement to you. And with all that said, I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of An Average Account of Exceptional Things. And until next time, encourage one another, love your enemies, and count your blessings. Thank mm-hmm. you.